0: Here we are, live from Drexel University. I am here with a guest as a member of the rowing squad, and we are here down at the library. First time I've been here in a while. Now I'm here with the fact that first time since I graduated, I'm my like alma mater. Can't believe that I'm saying that. But it's great to be here. The fact that I haven't been here in a while, this place specifically, a place where I studied, did homework, you know, and, and now home to, I guess, this podcast for today's episode. So, welcome back to High Voltage with Double A, and I am your host, Double A, welcoming, as I said earlier, because of course I could go all over the place and start my own tangent, a member from the Rowan team. And you might have to also tell me uh, the role in which you, you, you do, because I can't pronounce it. I know what you do, but I just I don't want to botch. The name. Her name is Natalie, and welcome on to the show today.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. My name is Natalie. I am a coxswain, is how you pronounce it.
0: Coxswain. Yes. Why is it called coxswain by some people? Because I thought it was that.
1: So it is spelled Mm -hmm. Mm C-O-X-S-W-A-I-N. So if you were to pronounce it the way it looks people would say coxswain, mm-hmm. but if you're within the rowing community and you know how to say it, it's actually pronounced coxswain, mm-hmm. um, it's derived from Latin, I believe it, mm. I believe it derived from Latin under the phrases boat servant, okay. um, and so it kind of expanded from there and, and you have what I do now today uh, as a coxswain on the women's rowing team here at Drexel.
0: And you definitely are proud to, to be uh, that position and proud to be on the women's, uh, women's I can't imagine, right?
1: Yeah, I am extremely proud and very honored to be on the team for the past four years and also going into my fifth year here at Drexel. I was honored to be a part of the team for a fifth year as the NCAA gave everybody an extra year of eligibility because of the COVID pandemic. So I am very grateful, very happy and honored and I'm excited for what we have to come.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So today's episode is gonna be centered around what it's like to be a student athlete because I know from our conversations and also the fact that we know each other from Philosophy Club, definitely shout out to them. That's how we met. I know that you're an extremely busy person, you know, and that kind of inspired me just, I know some of you know, I was a former tennis player. I could have been, but really, I probably could have tried and just failed on the tennis team because they recruit internationally here and tennis is a heck of a sport. But the, when it comes down to, i always been intrigued like what it's like to be a student and to juggle out, you know, if you do have a job, school, and be on teams. I do see that as three separate jobs and especially when you told me a few times that you wake up very early. But before we get to all that, because when it comes down to it, I do have a high respect for the NCAA and its athletes, even though when it comes to the corporation, a lot of things could be said, the ethical and, you know, some arguments and, of course, what's happened when it comes to, you know, paying an athlete and whatever have you. I just want to introduce yourself to the audience. Like, what, what do our members need to know about you before getting into this episode. Just tell us a few things about your characteristics, personality, anything you want that makes people say, okay, now I kind of feel like I know who's talking right now. And it might make sense when you talk some other stuff later.
1: Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I am 22 years old. I am going into my fifth year, like I had just said, at Drexel. I have a major in psychology. Over the last four years, I've also picked up two minors. Um, So I have a minor in music. That was my first minor I picked up pretty early on into my college career. And then in the last year or two, I also picked up the psychiatric rehabilitation minor. Mm. And so those say a little bit about me because I'm very interested in going towards music therapy. And so I study a little bit of counseling and therapy, a little bit of music, and then combined with an overall general education of psychology kind of where I'm leading for that. So yeah, I've always been involved in music in some capacity for my basically my entire life. I, I love that I added the minor here and I love that I'm still involved with music even while I have all everything else going on with being a student athlete and being an employee. I love to incorporate music in my life and so that says a little bit about me. In regards to the psychiatric rehabilitation, I just have always had an interest and a passion for helping people and for um, listening and talking to people and understanding different perspectives and, and being an open minded person and, and so over the last few years and over over my lifespan I've I've really tried to gain more perspective and, and gain more understanding every day. And so that's kind of a little bit more about me and, and being in college. I I personally think that you should always study something that you're passionate about. And if you think that you if you think that you've done the bare minimum, why not add something more? And so while I'm writing out five years here, I think that every single class that I've taken to for my major and for my two minors have been worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a little bit about what I study here at Drexel. I love the outdoors I love water, obviously. I'm on the rowing team, I know. But I genuinely do love being outside and being near water and on the water. I love going to the beach. I like to sail. I used to surf a little bit. I have always wanted to learn how to wakeboard and stuff like that. So I just love water sports. I love being outside and hiking and biking and stuff. It gives me a lot of, I guess, serotonin. So that's a little bit about some of my hobbies. What else do you want to know?
0: Well, actually, let me let me just rewind a little bit because those those are all like that great stuff. But I just want to get back to because I actually know someone who does uh, music therapy. Okay. And just talk to me a little bit about your passion for music and also a little bit about real meditation. And even if you want to talk a little bit, just and it, this is almost like a sub, not supply. I mean, I love the concept of supply when talking about movies, but almost like a subtopic in today's time, the fact that. You bring that, and it has to do with you. I just talk a little bit about what you study, and, and, and when it comes to the water sports, I mean, the only reason I I I, I, would, I would take the three that you study over the sports only because I, there's no way I could do those sports. You know, like I'm not sure <laughs> if I have that much balance. I mean, even with snowboarding, you know, you just, you just fail or whatever. But as long as you try it, you know, and I'm not, and it's actually I had a topic earlier. I'm not sure when it was, but like what makes a sport, and you know, all the things you said, I would argue would be. But then I just started myself. What about water polo? You know, like is water polo really? A sport like trying to think about what really makes a sport and also like do we really consider it a sport but I don't want to uh, get off topic because like uh, like I said the main talk today is talk about you and being a student athlete but of course I always like to dive a little bit deeper yeah. especially with topics that I don't typically think about and we definitely need to have a music Episode in terms of uh, me and one of my friends and just learning about music because when it comes down to just, I love history and there's a lot with it. And I don't know, like, I don't know a lot with uh, when it comes to Kiss or when it comes to, you know, uh, Michael Jackson and his music specifically. I watched The Elvis Moon and I'm like, I was, I started listening to every single one of his songs and I'm like, I wish I was in that time period, you know, and trying to get, like, grappling myself with, like, okay, sports is not the only passion. It could also be music, could be this or mm-hmm. that. Again, like, when, it, there's a lot that you said there. When it comes to music, you could talk a little bit about psychology. We actually did an episode with uh, with actually a, a student who's here, at, actually, in Evian and she studies. Psychology. We did an episode on that, but talking about music and rehabilitation, because those are things that you don't typically hear every day and definitely did not show up on the, on the podcast. Like, how did that come about? And just describe your passion a little bit, maybe give a few things that maybe people don't necessarily know about.
1: Yeah. So, before I get into it, I just want to mention I did actually see the Elvis movie really? last week with my mom, and it was amazing. Yeah. It's kind of a bittersweet thing because it's such a great, great movie and really well produced. And Really well acted it is. by Austin Butler, but it's a little bit sad because you see kind of how Elvis's life wasn't all that All that amazing. He had yeah. a lot of hardships What the, the biggest thing that I can say leading into talking about music therapy is you saw The effect that he had on his fans yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of what music does for people mm-hmm. It makes you feel good, it makes you feel bad, it makes you feel sad, that's... it makes you feel energized, it okay. makes you feel nostalgic, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what music therapists explore. Yeah. And so, when you are learning about music here, I have the general music music minor, and I'm learning about it, kind of a, a big, wide range of topics within music, so I'm learning a little bit of history, music theory, ear training, mm. and then... Um, Here at Drexel, we also require private lessons and being on an ensemble. So I have a pretty well-rounded understanding of music. I'm pretty much done with my music minor now. I have one class to go. Mm -hmm. And so I feel really confident in that regard.
0: What instrument did you say that you you play?
1: So I...
0: Or is it vocals?
1: So I am mainly a vocalist, Mm -hmm. but I do know how to play a few instruments over the past few years. I've gotten much better at guitar. I started playing guitar my senior year of high school. I'm pretty self-taught with that. I'm I'm definitely not a prodigy on any of my instruments, um, but I am most confident in playing piano and playing guitar. In the past, in grade school and elementary school and high school, I played the clarinet, Mm -hmm. and then really when I was young, I played the violin. Now, I really have loved seeing my brother play his saxophone and my sister play the trumpet. And wow. so I really would love to learn those two as well. Mm-hmm. I would love to learn bass guitar. And so there's a lot of instruments that I would love to play, but I would definitely say my most confident are the piano and guitar right mm-hmm. now, other than being a vocalist and being a singer. It's kind of an interesting thing, though, as well, because singing and being a coxswain, they're both two really important... Jobs, mm-hmm. um, in a band, in, in, in a choir, or on, a, on the rowing team, and both require my voice and both require a lot of effort and a lot of um, skill and technical focus. And so I think it's an interesting kind of paradox that I'm using my voice in two completely different ways, but it's two of my biggest passions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But talking about music therapy, I, I've always loved music. When I was little, I sang a lot with my parents. I sang with my dad I danced a lot at family (laughs) gatherings and stuff. And so I always loved music. I always loved dancing and singing and playing instruments. And so when I went into second grade, I started theater, Mm -hmm. which was really young to start theater. I was doing some productions for the high school of our town who needed some kid roles. Mm -hmm. And then from second to eighth grade, I did about four shows a year. Mm -hmm. And second to eighth doesn't seem like a lot because it's only... It's only, I guess, like six years, but Sorry. it really was my passion. It was everything. My sister and I were from a small town, my family, and so on Long Island. And mm. my sister and I did basically every sport. Basically, everybody who did one sport did every sport. And as soon as the season changed, we just switched uniforms, and that's how it went. Mm. And it was fun, and it was amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, so, at the same time that I was doing all the sports, I was doing theater. And I was singing, and I was learning piano at that time, and, and music was huge for me. My family, my extended family, came to see my shows, and, and it was a really, really amazing experience, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity that my parents gave me to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. I might as well uh, ask you because you bring it up you, you do both, and again we're going to get right into the topic. But I do really think this is interesting stuff. Again, I haven't brought this up in the podcast, and someone might say, "Well, Dabo, how's this all concerning?" I'm I'm here for this specific topic. It kind of I I knew where you were going, and it kind of brings us back a little bit because I feel like at least in my elementary school, I'm not sure they do this anymore. But you were forced to play an instrument and just you know see how long you could go with it. I think I was something along the lines with the percussionist and like drums, you know. And I always had something when it comes to the beat just listening to music and even my mom even's like oh can you hear that beat i'm like i do and, and when i took a music class i'm like the beat's not the only thing you know you gotta yeah. listen to you know the other instruments and it's almost sometimes especially when you hear classical which i'm just trying to start more and more into it's almost like an argument sometimes like you hear different things so depending on the instrument you hear anger for like maybe a minute but then you hear happiness and it's almost like they're battling each other again i definitely do need to uh have my own episode about that with with when it comes to history but still more than to But I just wanted to ask you like what is really the main difference or like similarities you can touch on between the passions of someone like you or anybody that has a passion for music and also those who have a passion for sports like do they overlap or they different because when it comes down to it, I feel like when it comes to topics, I feel like people are big with politics, sports music you could even argue technology or you know or or economics like like wall street the stock market whatever case would be they have their their niche they have their passion Mm -hmm. but it's not typically i don't want to say usual but you don't have like that many people who are really good at like two or three of those things and feel really a great passion i just Talk to me just like the, the, the concept of passion with those particular things, specifically sports and music, since you bring up. Yeah, that. of
1: course. I mean, I think it's funny that you bring up being required to, to do stuff yeah. in elementary school because I was kind of one of those kids that, and along with a few other students, but I was one of those kids that instead of doing the one that was required, either chorus or band, mm-hmm. me and my friends did both. And so <laughs> we would like go back and forth every other day. We would do one or the other. And yeah. and, and that was kind, that's kind of, how I've lived so far
2: mm.
1: whether it's sports or music I've always put my best foot forward and I've always put I haven't put too much pressure on myself but I've always put energy into everything I've done and and so knowing that I have a passion for music and also a passion for sports mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to sacrifice either of those two things Mm -hmm. and I think over the last few years in college I've really been able to gain that insight Mm -hmm. on how I feel on the inside because of what I've gone through and so a little bit more about how I kind of got to where I am for rowing is when I went I went to public school elementary school and um, middle school Mm -hmm. and going into high school I and my siblings had decided we wanted to go to Catholic school, um, so that's a private school. We had to take an exam and choose the schools that we wanted to go to and then get invited and things mm-hmm. like that. And when I was deciding between two schools, one of them was called Sacred Heart and one of them was called Our Lady of Mercy, I had to basically decide which school I wanted more and weigh the pros and cons. Now, Sacred Heart had a really, really good music program,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Our Lady of Mercy didn't. But Our Lady of Mercy had a really good rowing program, Mm -hmm. and Sacred Heart didn't. And so I kind of got to a crossroads when I was choosing where to go to high school at that point, and I was basically deciding, do I want to continue being really involved in music or do I want to start rowing which I had seen my older brother do and I had known that I wanted to try it and I know that I wanted I already loved it and I wanted to do it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and so ultimately I decided to go to Our Lady of Mercy and do rowing there and for a while I lost that that part of music for me
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I was still of course passionate about it but I wasn't as involved in it And so going towards my senior year, I started to do the select choir, which was only available to juniors and seniors. We didn't have a band. We had a theater group, but um, I didn't have time for rowing. Mm -hmm. And so when I transitioned, I had to stop all of the other sports I did Mm -hmm. and all of the theater that I did just for this one thing, this thing that I've now done for eight or nine years, Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't regret it at all because I have acknowledged it and I've accepted those choices and I've made the absolute most that I can out of them and so by choosing to do rowing and letting go a little bit of a lot of things I loved I made the most of it I worked hard at it and I got recruited here to Drexel Mm
0: -hmm. and I'm
1: still going and I and I still have passion and pursuit to potentially be on the U.S. national team in the future and and I think that it's important to acknowledge your dreams and your goals, mm-hmm. but not lose sight of other things in your life and other people in your life. And so when I got to college, I added a music minor, mm-hmm. got a little bit back. Yeah. I started doing the ensembles, got a little bit back. And, and that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like when you're involved in sports or music or, like you said, politics or other big passions, if you are passionate about multiple things, nobody's saying you can't be involved in multiple things and and I think that's a sad reality for some people that might not have enough opportunity. I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've been given to be here and and the opportunities that I've been given throughout my life to be involved with multiple things that I'm passionate about but my biggest my biggest thing is if you love doing something nobody says that you can't do it Mm -hmm. and so I have always loved being a coxswain and I've always loved the sport of rowing Mm -hmm. but I also have always loved music and and by coming here at Drexel and they say ambition can't wait you it's it's honestly it's it's such a funny thing but it's so true Mm -hmm. it is so true because I wouldn't be where I am today without the help of so many other people but I also have to make my opportunities for myself and, and put myself out there. Mm-hmm. Take, Declare the minor, you know? Join the club, start the club, things like that. And, and so that's kind of, it's a big balance. Yeah. If you want to be involved with a lot of things, it's a big balance and you have to kind of sometimes take a break from it, right? Just mm-hmm. take a mental break, take a physical break. But at the end of the day, um, just keep pushing forward and 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 keep your eyes set on on what you what you love.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of like the episode like now, like a behind the scenes thing. Like for every guest, I used to say, "Oh, introduce." so-and-so you know and I'm just even though it took longer than I I had thought that's the thing about interviews like you don't know how long it's it's gonna be but I'm happy you said all that because when it comes down to I I feel like a lot of people have like made those tough decisions or as as versatile as you are have those multiple passions and you're not regretful for for anything you know it's a bad mindset to begin with anyway I said that before I really do think a lot of people can resonate and kind of like remember those days of being a child, doing everything that you can because, and, and of course, then you have to make a decision or you know, uh, you take another road and you explore or you experiment. Because when it comes down to it, I've, I, I think I told you this before, and just and we're gonna get into like how busy you are, but I would definitely say that. When it comes down to life, is too short, and we are we are young. But the fact of the matter is, is, that it's going to get harder as we get older. So you might as well like not say no to anything. Yeah, you know, and just and just see what's out there, see what you can do. And that's and I forgot another passion. And I know you said like it's you you shouldn't say no. I know something that could be really hard for people because it costs a lot of money is traveling. You know, like if there's yeah. an opportunity that comes up, you definitely don't want to say no no to that. Right. And Especially when this country is very big. I actually just did a topic about this not that long ago and i beg people to please travel and if you don't have a passport you can't go internationally then this country's still big and there's i gave you plenty of places to go to within 150 miles but that's and i'm starting to develop that kind of passion even though it's a weird kind of passion it's not it's not something that you read in the news Mm -hmm. or you know uh, something that you necessarily like call yourself but at the same time i would definitely argue that i think the message even though again it you expanded upon it, and I appreciate that because I don't I, I like I told you before another thing I told you and I try to tell people before uh, we start recording is that I don't really want to talk I, I usually do that anyway and I just sit uh, sitting back and, and listening I have to admit I just it's uh, that, a big background and I think now really thinking about it it's almost like I was, I was going to say this about, you know, I might as well say for everybody, it's like you're almost like a one of a kind, and I, that's the thing, I think we're all one of a kind, you know, you just have to really find that uniqueness, that passion in which, you know, we're all on this earth for a reason, you just really have to find yourself about that and really go towards it, and which you can't be shy to do that, and hopefully you have a lot of confidence, because I know that's definitely... The root of all things but you were just touching upon actually i'll, I'll get to that question in a second so uh, like I, and i know it's been a while usually i usually ask this now at this point but i usually have a random question it's not really anything it could be about like you know exploring a little bit more about you but this one actually just has to do with like you know just a funny question making us a little bit different and a little bit unique what's the weirdest food that you ever uh, had to eat
1: okay what is the weirdest food
0: and I know weird's not like, you know, like the greatest term. It could be, it's vague, but it, like whatever comes to mind is uh, acceptable.
1: Two thoughts. Here here okay. are my two thoughts. I definitely have tried a, a wide range of food. More recently, especially as I've made new friends, new new people, new interests. Um, but two weird ones. One of them was, and not to be cliche, but escargot. What
2: is, what is that?
1: Escargot is snail. Really? And it's... It's a dish originated from France. It's a French dish. And I used to work at the restaurant Louis Louis over the last few years. I haven't a little bit more recently in this past summer and and spring, but Mm -hmm. I worked there for about a year and a half. It's right on UPenn's campus, actually. So it's a local restaurant, Louis Louis, Mm -hmm. and it's mainly French cuisine. And so as a waitress and as a server and a food runner and, and bartender and... And whatever I was doing that day, everybody got together mm-hmm. and before the shift opened and we tried the uh, dish of the day or something. And and it's kind of like you don't have to try it, but at the same time you're intrigued, mm-hmm. but at the same time you don't want to try it. But at the same time, if you don't try it and somebody asks you at a table if you like it or if it tastes good, That's true. you get the better experience for the people that you're serving when you're genuine and when you actually know what you're saying rather than just memorizing the ingredients on the menu or memorizing what dish to say is your favorite mm-hmm. because it's more expensive things like that yeah. is is big in the restaurant business and so i tried it it well, it wasn't my favorite but it was weird the other i guess the other food i would say was dragon fruit which is amazing people also call it pataya they make bowls, like acai bowls, mm-hmm. with it nowadays. They call it patai bowls. It was funny. It was a very funny experience because when I first tried it, my family, me, my brother, my sister, and my dad, we went to a grocery store, and it was stop and shop at the time. <laughs> and we were like, okay, you know, there's a whole produce section. They have to have it. We found a worker. We couldn't find it in the produce section. We found a worker, and we said, Hey, can you point us to where the dragon fruit is? Mm. We, we couldn't find it. And the woman, she was like, Sorry, what did you ask for? And then we repeated it. We were like, We're looking for dragon fruit. Mm. And she brought us over to an aisle way in the back. Mm. She brought us to an aisle for pets. Wow. No. Because she thought we were looking for fruit for Uh, a dragon. And we just thought it was the funniest thing. We're looking at the dog treats and the dog toys. And we were like, I guess we're not eating dragon fruit today. And so we went and we we ended up finding it somewhere else. But Mm. I thought it was just a funny story. I guess people have bearded dragons. But that's the closest you can get. And it says a lot because I'm a dragon here at Drexel now. So I think it all comes full circle. But yeah, that, those were two weird, interesting fruits. One I really liked and one I didn't.
0: Yeah, no, that actually kind of reminds me. It is weird to call myself a, a dragon, but I guess you know, I, I thought I was a human, but I guess, you know, being on Drexel's campus, I guess you are a dragon. And still, even after graduating, it's weird to say that. But if you ever come across those those foods, and again, I don't know how you would do that, i will definitely like to try it some, someday. Because ever since, uh, and the main root of this question is like, and of course everyone knows I'm a big baseball guy, but out in Seattle at T Mobile Field, they, they have uh, crickets you know so ever since then I'm like you know what if, I, if I'm in that stadium I want to go ahead and try it which of course one of the reasons why I want to try is like try to go to as many stadiums as possible which hopefully one day I'm not sure if I ever will but hopefully one day I can go out to Seattle and just try how that is because I can't imagine Yeah, and it's also probably expensive but I guess by that point I have to just swallow that and eat the cost but, but yeah that's very interesting If you ever if you ever have like that or if it's ever like if you can like if you can leave me in the right direction or give me one I'll more than half to to try that because i am very curious of it and i've never heard of those those two and especially with the french place i i have never been there and hopefully maybe you know if, if you're looking for a french cuisine that's definitely a place that you could go to it seems like it's been a while but we're finally into you know the topic that we were supposed to get into and that's okay you know again like i said very much necessary and you know giving your back story and that's really i feel like a lot of of uh it could be anybody, but I do think when it comes to a student athlete, we all have a story to tell, and it's like pretty long, you know, of how you get here and, you know, how you make it and how you're successful. The fact of the matter is, though, you had to qualify, you know, Drexel had to recruit you and, and you had to be good enough to to, uh, to be on the women's team, be on a scholarship, I'm assuming, right? So what, was, what were your qualifications of being an athlete? And then overall, why did you choose Drexel over potentially other places that you could have gone to?
1: Yeah. So I think it's an interesting thing because being a coxswain, you aren't doing the physical work Mm -hmm. in the boat. You're doing intellectual work for sure. And you're doing technical work for sure. You're doing vocal work, of course, but you're not doing the physical work. And so I think there's a big balance. You have to prove yourself as an athlete, as a coxswain, because not all coxswains work out with their rowers. Some mm-hmm. do, some don't. It really depends on the program and what your coaches want. But I do consider myself an athlete outside of rowing anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I consider my myself an athlete even on the rowing team as a part of the rowing team because I am a student athlete. But I think it's an interesting thing because I'm an athlete that doesn't do physical work mm-hmm. when it comes to the line. I do weight lift with the rowers mm-hmm. happily. I love it. They love that I do it. it. It's kind of like a level of respect that you build between your rowers and your coxswains. If they see you working out, whether it's cardio or whether it's lifting or whether it's something else that you're passionate about, them seeing that you are putting yourself um, in, a, in an uncomfortable position and, and pushing yourself to maybe your limit, even if it's not the same limit as a big, strong rower, if they see that you're putting in some work to better yourself, then When you're on the water and when you're on the line, and they hear you ask for them to give more and for them to give their hardest and for them to push themselves to their limits, even if they actually don't know what their limit is, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit more of of an understanding within when they've seen you do the same. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love lifting with the team in our strength and conditioning room. I really, really built myself as an athlete in the drugstore community since actually this past year I got the award for uh, the National Strength and Conditioning All-American.
2: Really?
1: I, what it an was honor. It was completely a shock to me. I was not expecting it um, but I'm so so grateful for the coaches and for my athletes and for my rowers for helping me get there mm-hmm. and for the support from the rowers and the coaches on the team that allowing me to weight lift them some programs don't let your coxswains weight lift them Mm -hmm. but just the support and and the opportunity to do so it it really has grown me as an athlete Mm -hmm. and so that's why i consider myself an athlete in terms of being recruited for a coxswain it's different than rowers of course because rowers um, while everybody across the board when you're going to be recruited into college everybody has to give their resume, uh, Mm -hmm. their uh, academic resume, their GPAs and things like that, their transcript or or whatever. Of course. For rowers, then their next supplement would be providing ERG scores, and that's what um, some people call the rowing machine outside of the rowing community, but it's actually called an ERG. For coxswains, the other thing other than the transcript would be a vocal recording, an MP3 recording. So the the crazy thing is... um, you know rowers have all that physical easily measured thing while coxswains other than their gpa other than their grades in high school it's that recording that really says a lot and um Hmm. i've listened back to my recordings from four or five years ago and honestly sometimes i'm shocked that i even got recruited i'm really grateful that i did Mm -hmm. but I've progressed and I've gotten better so much since then that it's, it's just so funny to me mm-hmm. um, listening back to recordings from four five years ago when, when I was kind of going through the recruiting process and listening to recordings from eight years ago is even funnier. <laughs> but that's a big thing. And, and, and what the coaches are looking for in terms of your recording is when they're listening... Other than all the information that you're giving, other than all of the motivation that you're giving, what they're listening for is to place them in the scene of the race. Mm -hmm. And so, how well can you speak the race and execute the race to the rowers so much so that if a coach were listening back, they know exactly where you are, how fast you're going. And what kind of, what's the tone of the race? Are you leading? Wow. Are you behind? Are you in the middle of the pack? And so if the coach that's recruiting you can tell where you are, can tell what's going on within the boat and outside of the boat, then you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. The other big thing about coxing is steering. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's an MP3 recording, a coach can't see your steering yet. And so that's kind of something that I guess they kind of go on a whim sometimes. My coaches saw me race. There's a lot of races in Philly, and so they've seen me race. They've seen me steer before I came to Drexel, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't come often. Um, That's kind of something that you can definitely get better at everything when you get to college. That's just how it goes. You build build in your sport. You get better. You progress. But it's interesting because you have your steering, you have your MP3, and you have your grades, and grades are big. For coxswains. Sometimes people overlook grades for rowers. It's a little bit of a stereotype, though, because there are hundreds and hundreds of really smart rowers. But I would say that they, there's obviously more of a focus on your actual physical fitness. Mm-hmm. But for coxswains, you don't want to overlook it so much. You don't want to overlook it because you are the intellectual of the boat, whether or not they're actually... More, more or less intellectual than the rowers, which I don't think, mm-hmm. that's your job. And, and so if you're reliable in the classroom, the coaches could say you're more reliable on the water. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of give and take. It's a lot of guessing, honestly. But when you go on that visit and when they hear your recording, those are the biggest things. When they see you, when they see you fit within the team, within the atmosphere, when they learn your personality, is your personality going to be a good fit? Because you're going to be the most vocal on the team. Are you going to be a good fit with the team just in general, in mm-hmm. your presence? Are you going to be uplifting the rowers? Or are you going to be so stern on them that you actually take them down? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the, the thing about coxswains is it's the energy that you bring to the table. It's the atmosphere that you create along with the skills and the technical calls and the information. Information and how well you execute.
0: Mm-hmm. How many schools uh, wanted your services on the their uh, their own rowing team, and ultimately why did you choose Drexel over those other schools? Like, what factors came into play then?
1: Yeah, so the schools I was looking at for rowing were Drexel, of mm-hmm. course, U Miami, okay, in um, Coral Gables. Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. oh, wow. and Bucknell University, and and so those four universities are all across the East Coast, and, and they're very different.
0: Those were some heavy hitters. Like, yeah, they're re- really well known.
1: Well, so the thing was, I I set I set the bar high for myself. I wasn't somebody that was really interested in going to an Ivy League, mm-hmm. but I was kind of interested in going to somewhere where I'll get a great education and be on a great program. And and at that time, that's where I saw. um, That's where I saw myself. There's amazing programs and amazing educations in Central America and on the West Coast. But I was looking at the East Coast, and at that time I was like, you know what? These are the four schools I'm going to go for. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a great experience. I was only allowed to do three official visits. Mm -hmm. So I did my three... Official visits, and then Bucknell was the one I did an unofficial for. Okay. Um, and so an unofficial visit is basically you just don't sleep over. So you kind of just do oh. a day trip mm-hmm. um, versus the other three you actually stay and you sleep over with an athlete. So you're there for a little longer. You see the day. You have the day with them. Mm-hmm. You go to their practice. You go to their other things with them, team meetings and stuff. You sleep over. You see another Whatever it is, and you meet the coaches and things like that. It's a little bit more of an official experience at the school. You go to some classes with the student athletes. Mm-hmm. So I did that at UNC, U Miami, and Trexel. UNC, I also had went to a camp, oh. and so it was kind of an interesting thing because I didn't do the what you what you would call an official visit because i did a week-long camp with them in the summer program and so while i was there i met the rowers on the team um who were actually running the camp i got to see what they did in the summer what classes and what internships they did in the summer and so it was kind of a different experience than you might, hand drexel but it was it was still a great idea of what i was to expect um at Miami, I had a close friend from high school who actually went there to row, mm. so that was fun. I got to stay with her. I got to see the, the team. And then here at Drexel, I didn't know anybody, but I had an amazing experience. And, I, and I, when I was looking at colleges, I actually was looking for a school with a closed campus. Okay. So Drexel was kind of the odd man out in terms of the other three schools because U Miami. it's Fairly closed, you you know where you are. UNC is very very closed. You, it is a campus. It's a college campus, and then um, Bucknell as well is it's a college campus, and that kind of town is built almost around that campus.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I like to call is it, like it's on its own island.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so whether or not you have a, a a good official visit, you kind of you just have to step back a little bit and. and Know what you want before you go. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting because I knew that I wanted a closed campus, but I had the best time at Drexel, mm. which isn't really that close. We're in a city. Yeah. Now I know exactly where the borders of our campus are, being a senior. But when you're going on those tours, you have no idea where you are. <laughs> Um, and, I, and I think that's the funny thing about Philly. It's a small city, yeah. but there's so many opportunities. And I saw that when I came here, and I loved that when I came here. A little bit on the down low about coxing and recruiting. Not everybody recruits coxins. Not everybody pays coxins. Oh.
2: Right.
1: And so I'm not allowed to disclose how much scholarship I get from Drexel, but I will say that... Drexel, when they met me and they saw me, they knew that I was going to be pivotal and they knew that I was going to make an impact on the team. And so when I came here on my official, what before I left, they offered me a scholarship. And that was drastically different, whether or not I said yes, that was drastically different from Bucknell I had kind of put aside, and, and, but that was drastically different from Miami and UNC because... Those two schools, UNC, we know is great academically. Mm-hmm. They said, "You have a spot on the team, but you have to get yourself in academically because it is an out of you would be an out of state school. It's a state school, mm-hmm. so that's a state school. So I would have to get myself in as an out of stater because they only have two spots that they can pull an out of stater in, and they are using both of them on a rower." Ah. And then you Miami they um, they could have helped me get in but they did they did an academic pre-read and they said I would get in anyways mm-hmm. but they said we don't give Coxon scholarship when they first come we give it to them as they grow through uh-huh. the program which is is good but personally I needed a little help financially coming into college and I wanted to help financially going into college. I didn't want to go into college without a scholarship and have to grow. I wanted one straight off the bat and then grow yeah. it. And so it was just the perfect thing. I loved Drexel, and they saw the impact that I can give. And by that, they offered a financial help. And so at that point, after having such a great time with the team after Having a scholarship offered, after loving the coaches that I met and loving the the campus and the Philadelphia community environment, it was a no brainer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that's when I chose Drexel.
0: Wow, that's so. And I definitely just want to say too, just as a, a reminder, definitely like be careful what you say because I didn't realize we might have the NCAA on our backs. You know, <laughs> no, they,
1: they won't. They won't even be listening.
0: Yeah, probably sure. not. Uh, we are a low level, low budget. Because you, but you also never you make know sure to hear. screen
1: them on Google.
0: Yeah, I know, right? So, so that's one of the main reasons why I I felt this was such an awesome topic because the recruiting process is a unique one when it comes to sports, it's a, rather than a student or rather than someone in in music, and it's or even someone when it comes to whether they have like an IQ team or the case would be like they definitely see like someone's like a prodigy or something, uh, some uh, something like that, and that's definitely awesome. Like it seems like. You know, just, it was just meant to be, and it sounds like you're very talented, too, so, like, Drexel knew that off the bat, and they're like, yeah, we can't, you know, like, let her leave the campus without, you know, like, having, like, uh, like making our mark and making different, because they probably knew what, what you said with the cox sin. You talk about a typical day a little bit in terms of like, you know, you were shadowing. Someone, what is it like to be a student? Just give us like a typical day, because I know you're a very busy person, and I, and I definitely want that to let that known yeah. to the audience.
1: Yeah, of course. I'll give you a typical day in the spring, which is our championship season. Mm-hmm. So, I we start practice in the spring at six. Practice starts at six. So. When, when the coach says practice starts at 6, you got to be there earlier because mm-hmm. you want to be there before practice starts. So I usually aim to get there around 5.40. Mm-hmm. So I would generally wake up at around 5. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to give myself a lot of time, I would do 4.45. Mm-hmm. But just to be on a general basis, let's go 5 a.m. wake up. We have practice from 6 to 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then... Because athletes are all required to do spring-summer co-op cycle, I would then have co-op. And so we had practice 6 to 8 a.m., and then I would start my co-op. This year I started my co-op at 8.30. In general, people start their co-op at 9. So you have your 9 to 5 co-op. And then our whole team generally tries to lift together. So we would have 9 to 5 co-op. 520 weightlifting.
2: Oh,
1: okay. So we'll do, it's usually about an hour. Mm-hmm. So you'll have your 520 weightlift. You'll finish by 630 usually. And on the days that we're not lifting it, it really depends. On the days that we're not lifting, the rowers will have another workout to do whether it's cardio or whether it's specifically an ERG workout. Mm-hmm. And usually that's from 60 to 120 minutes of work. And so that That can take you to around 7, 8 p.m. for the rowers especially. And so whether I go to weightlift with them at around 5.30 p.m. or they have a different workout to do, I would still finish work and then go to the erg room, go to the DAC, and go watch them and help them and just help run and get things smoothly. Mm -hmm. So you'll have morning practice, you'll have your job, you'll have evening practice, weightlift, Erging, cardio, on the water even sometimes. And then by the, by that time, it'll be around 7 or 8. And if I'm in a club or something of that day, if I have a meeting, I'll run and join it. And then I'll get home around 9, have dinner, and then go to bed because I have to wake up at 5.
0: Yeah. Uh, how, how much sleep do you typically get on average?
1: I During season and, and when we're practicing early in the morning, I probably get... Six or seven hours. Mm -hmm. I prefer to get eight. Eight's not perfect for everybody. Some people are perfect on seven, some people are perfect on six, some people are perfect on ten. Eight is kind of seven and a half is where I am best, but I need to give myself eight hours pretty much to get seven and a half hours of sleep. But I I don't quite get it. A lot of people nap uh, Mm. when they can, and so when we're in classes, for example, when we're in the fall season, when we're in classes, if I have a break between classes, I'll, I'll take a nap. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever I can get myself going to, to keep motivated, because if you're the, the face that the, that the rowers are seeing when they're rowing and that, when, that they're looking at, you always want to be that positive presence. And, and so whatever I can do to get myself enough sleep, whatever I can do to get myself energized, I'll do that.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what is the difference between fall and spring? Like, give us a little bit of an insight when it comes to, right, like after practice, you gotta go to your classes and then you have to worry about assignments. Like, give us a little, because when I think of student athlete not every college has a co op, and I didn't even ask you about your co op. Right. I can ask you about that after you answer. But yeah, just give a little bit of taste, like, because like, uh, it, it, it's almost like another job, you know, like being an athlete, but then also being a student. I know people don't phrase it like that, but you have a responsibility, you're supposed to do it on time, and you have an obligation for an end goal in which, even even though you're paying them, they're also paying you in gaining education. So how? Right. So what's the biggest difference when it comes to again? I know it's classic, but it also could be more stress. It could also be you know more responsibility. It could also mean you know like uh, you have to slack off. I, I don't like that terminology, but maybe when it comes to doing a sign or when it comes to doing a workout, maybe it's to have an hour. It has to be a half hour. Like tell tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad you I'm glad you asked because it is true. We do have a majority of when we row we row in the fall winter and spring Mm -hmm. and so while we're fall winter classes a majority of the rowing during the year is during classes so a general if you're not on co-op if you're in classes a general idea of a day is we practice from 7 to 9 Mm a.m so it's one hour later beautiful i'll only have to wake up at six yeah so we'll have seven to nine a.m practice Our coaches don't like us to schedule classes earlier than 10 a.m. because it's just a little bit hard to get there, but sometimes that's the only thing that you can do. 9.30 classes are popular here at Drexel, so a lot of people have those. In general, let's just say 7 to 9 a.m. practice, then I will run home, switch my bag from maybe my my sports backpack to my bag that I already have ready with my computer and books. Mm -hmm. I'll run out to, let's just say, a 10 a.m. class on a day-to-day basis, I'll usually have around two, three classes. So I'll do classes from 10 a.m. Let's just say maybe I'll grab food after that. I have another class at like 1, a.m. 1 p.m. and maybe 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, when my 3 p.m. class is done, I'll go to the DAC for that evening practice from around 5 to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then, especially in fall and winter, I like to be active in the Droxel community and with clubs and activities and extracurriculars. So I will almost always have something to do, whether it was philosophy club, whether mm. it's for SAC, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, um, whether it's for gospel choir, which I was involved in for the last few years, or what have you. Whether it's a job, um, I have had a handful of jobs over the last few years during the school year, during the rowing seasons. Because I am trying to make money for myself to pay mm-hmm. for my groceries and to pay for just things to give myself rather um, than relying on my on parents, yeah. which I'm very grateful for them helping me throughout my um, college career. But it's a balance. Um, on the days that I wouldn't have those classes, and sometimes I'll have a day with no classes, especially on Fridays.
0: Yeah, I remember those schedules, yeah.
1: I'll do the rowing in the morning practice. I'll go work, and I, and I would work at that restaurant Louis Louie mm-hmm. all throughout the day starting at 10 a.m. shift ending around 4 which is kind of where you switch employees for the evening shift and then I'll go to the DAC and so it's really like once you leave your house 6 a.m. you don't come back until 9 p.m. Yeah. you don't come back until 10 p.m. which is a little bit brutal sometimes but it is the reality of being a student-athlete it is the reality of being somebody, not just a student-athlete, but somebody who wants to be involved in a lot of things, because the bare minimum is two practices a day mm-hmm. and going to your classes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so anything extra from that is me personally, but as a student-athlete, that's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. Once you leave, you don't come back until the evening.
0: Yeah, that actually kind of reminds me, like, it's, I kind of smile now again, it's more so like my, my high school days, because again, I'm not a, a student-athlete, but... You do feel like, you know, oh my God, it was a long day and then you got to do it again, you know? And just like coming home, I just remember like, wow, it was a long day and it goes by so quickly. It is it is brutal. Don't get me wrong. Like, you wish you were home sooner. You wish, you know, you had a little bit more rest time or more sleep time. But like I did mention earlier, at least at the age that you are, you're able to do more and you probably want to do more. Like at 30 or 40, you know, we don't have that opportunity again.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the crazy thing is, It's so manageable if you Mm. actually manage your time. And build a routine. And and yes, and that starts, honestly, that starts with scheduling your classes. Mm. I was big on scheduling all of my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays Mm. or on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, Mm. so that I had two or three whole days without classes to work. But to also do my homework. Yeah. And it's a funny thing because if you think about it, if you're leaving your house at 6 a.m. and you're getting back at 9 p.m., I still 8 can't p.m.,
2: believe it's a long, long
1: time. When are you doing your work? Yeah. In between classes? Some I mean, some people do their homework for a different class while they're in another class. That's... And I will say I've done it for sure. But it's an interesting thing because then you're not paying attention to the class that you're actually in. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's the college grind. People that aren't even student-athletes do that. Yeah. It is what it is. It starts when you schedule your classes. And if you don't have a choice in scheduling your classes, it starts with getting ready and getting prepared to manage your time. And I'm not a pro at managing my time. But I manage Mm -hmm. to manage my time.
0: Yeah. I also want to want to say you brought up the DAC a few times. I forgot to say the DAC is the athletic center here for for Drexel. It's, uh was a short for the uh, the Dakis. Right? The
1: I think it's pronounced Dalakakis.
0: Dalakakis. Dalakakis
1: Athletic Center. I
0: should be a little ashamed. I'm Greek and, and and I'm botching like the name because I don't know exactly how it's spelled. I yeah. kind of forget it. I know it ends in is, which of course for the most part makes it. Greek, but I also don't want to forget, because I know what you're doing is a, is a great cause, just where are you working right now for your third and last co-op, and just, you know, tell people about it, because I know it's it's very uh, charitable what, you, what you're what you doing, right?
1: Yes, I'm very happy to talk about my third and last co-op, which is an interesting one because it doesn't have to do with music therapy okay. or psychology, which my first two did. Okay. This co-op that I'm doing now, it is for sharing access. Mm-hmm. It is a... Food rescue, hunger relief, um, and like food insecurity, nonprofit organization it actually began, It officially began and I, I believe 2018 or 2019, it was started by a Drexel student named Evan Ellers. When he was a student here at Drexel, he noticed that there was food being wasted, meal swipes being wasted. Yeah. And so the organization started by just him taking his meal swipes at the end of the term, swiping out a bunch of food, and then donating it to people that were in need of food around the Philadelphia, around the Drexel area.
2: That's awesome. And
1: over the years, he got his friends to join in. Mm-hmm. He got a little bit of an office space in one of the buildings here at Drexel. And he started a little headquarters for himself. And then um, since then, over the last few years, he graduated a few years ago. I, I, believe, he's, I believe he's 25 now. Our oldest person on the company is 26. We're a young, young team about of about 30 people. And he really started a great thing. Yeah. And the cool thing about it in the past and, and up to now is that it's mainly run with an entire co-op cohort. Mm-hmm. And so... Evan and, and the sharing access is extremely involved in the co-op cycle. And so right now we have about 10 cohorts. One's in finance, a few are in tech and design, a few are in distribution, a few are in sourcing, and um, one or two are in community outreach. And so it's, it's cool mm. because you have that five or six core that lead operations, sourcing, distribution, finance. You have those core. And then all below them are, are mostly co-ops. Mm-hmm. Up until now, we've been recently we've been hiring um, more full time positions and more full time employees so that the company can continue to expand and not necessarily rely on any co-ops just in case you never know. Mm-hmm. But it's a really really cool experience. A majority of my fellow co-workers when I first started were Drexel students now that we're expanding it's a little bit less of a majority it's kind of like half Drexel half just regular any St. Joe's we have some people from outside of Philly but it's just a, it's just a really great really amazing company and and something about it that I love even though it doesn't necessarily have to do with music therapy or, or counseling or, or whatnot is I'm learning what it takes to be an, an employee, right? It's just a general thing. What it takes to, to work under a really, really innovative person. And, and Evan is our boss and our founder, but I work really under all of those team leads. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah is my main team lead. Alex, she's great. Victoria is amazing. And, and so what it takes to complete what you are needed to complete what it takes to make work for yourself and, and help the co- company expand, and what it takes to run a nonprofit. I've especially learned.
0: Mm. And I did an episode about this with a friend of mine from Temple. It almost sounds like being an entrepreneur. Yeah,
1: you know? and that's. It. I mean, Evan is is an entrepreneur. That's just yeah. what he is. He built this company from the ground up. He. Yeah, I think he even put all of his savings um, from his years going into college all to this company. And and so by learning what it takes to run a nonprofit, it's really made me want to be involved in nonprofits in the future. I'm not sure what capacity that's going to be at Mm -hmm. at this current moment, but I have loved it so far. I've always had a passion for nonprofits. But I just hadn't been as involved in them as I wanted to be. And I've always wanted to go on mission trips and volunteer for nonprofits. I never thought, oh, maybe I should just work for one. Yeah. It, it's kind of a funny thing because when you work for a nonprofit, you are getting paid, right? Mm-hmm. But the great thing about it is it doesn't feel like work.
2: Yeah.
1: Working for sharing access specifically, you start your day by doing something good you end your day by doing something good and it feels great and it doesn't feel like work at all. Mm-hmm. And that's the environment that we build there and that's the environment that I hope is that a lot of these other nonprofit organizations, especially small startup ones that are, are really trying to expand nationally and, and across the country
0: mm-hmm. before we get back into uh being a student it's almost like a commercial break uh just you know just a little bit of a mental break talking about you as a rower and you as a as a student just what can we do me or someone else who may be listening to this that can help to that cause because some people may not be college students or they may be adult or they just graduated. how can they like what do you do to evoke people to take action to help what you do
1: yeah, and so my job specifically works a lot with volunteers. Mm-hmm. I would say if you are interested in helping your community, volunteer. Please volunteer. We only have a few paid employees that actually go out and do the work. Everybody's doing work in the background to run the company, but a majority of these nonprofits and a majority of sharing excess, sharing the excess food is By these volunteer drivers that we have, by these volunteers that come to our pop-ups, by the volunteers that come to our warehouse and help us sort and help us pack produce, Mm -hmm. please volunteer. And if you're interested in just learning about sharing access specifically, go follow us on our our Instagram, follow follow our website Mm -hmm. to help us free food.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I might just do that because we're also on social media and of course, you know, like we're, we're trying to get bigger, but at the same time, we don't uh, like, I guess in a way I'm helping people, but not like directly as you guys are. So I definitely want to help, like help out with that, especially when, you know, I talk about like talk about being a better person or just, you know, how I just don't like society. At least there are definitely good facets of good aspects of a person of a society, which of course, if that happens, I definitely want people to contribute but going back into what you were just talking about with like the typical day that a student athlete goes to and just also just I guess in general whether it's being an athlete being a student you're going to clubs or just being here at Drexel the whole experience is it what you expected at the end of the day
1: I think that's a funny thing to ask is it what I expected I didn't have any the typical day-to-day yes Is what I expected because I went on those visits. I saw what it was going to be like.
0: Mm.
1: But at the end of the day, I I didn't have any crazy specific expectations.
0: You just went along with the flow.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of like you go with the flow. But for me, I've always been a leader. I've always been interested in a wide range of things. And so I didn't know what to expect. I expected to be a part of the rowing program. I expected to be a, a student here. But other than that, you make the experience that you get. And going into college, I, I kind of didn't know what I was going to make for myself at, at yet, mm-hmm. you know? And and so I guess I, I didn't, I would never expect to be where I am in terms of my clubs, my activities, rowing, in terms of the rowing program, and um, academically. I wouldn't even expect that I would be here in this room. Yeah. But I'm grateful for every everything that I've, that has got me to, this room and got me to the place where I am now Mm. so I didn't expect it but who can you know who can
0: yeah that's true when it comes to your college experience which to you personally is more important the student part or the athlete part
1: well I think it's funny because people that prioritize athletics it's it's like a funny term they call themselves athlete students Mm -hmm. I think ultimately to be the best student athlete you have to prioritize both and not to answer your question by choosing neither. But yeah. but that really is how it is. People that put more of a focus on athletics can be very successful in athletics. Mm-hmm. People that put more of a focus on your academics are going to be very successful in their academics, whether or not they're a good, successful athlete. But the ones who want to make the most of their experience. And I I think that that's something that we have here at Drexel Mm -hmm. is we have a good blend of student and athlete life. Mm -hmm. There are other schools that you could go to, and and this doesn't even matter what sport, but for rowing specifically also, like there are schools that put a heavy focus on athletics and they don't have any regard to academics. Um, You miss a lot of school, doesn't matter as long as you're fast, mm-hmm. as long as you're hitting those free throws. You know, yeah. it's kind of like that energy, and, and that's what you find at a lot of schools. Some other schools, Division two, Division three, put a, more of a focus on your academics because that's what they want. I think that part of the reason why I chose to come here was because of the balance between academic life and athletic life. And so if I buy into that, then I'll be very successful in both areas.
0: And that's definitely something that I didn't even really touch upon, like the academic part of it. Like that's something you have to be aware of. Like you have to hit a certain minimum when it comes to your GPA to have eligibility and stay on the team. Like, like did you ever did you ever worry about that? Like did it get to a certain point where it was pretty close and you and you had to have a conversation with your coach, or it was like you you started out great from the get go from that first term and you just never looked back and you never truly had to worry about what grades you got.
1: I have never had to worry about my grades for as for academic eligibility. Mm-hmm. I have had to worry in classes that I just wasn't advanced at in classes that I just wasn't great at. I mean, I wasn't the best at biology. I love biology. I love learning about it. I just wasn't the best test taker. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I'm a better test taker now, but unfortunately I wasn't when I first came to Drexel and that class was in my freshman year. And mm-hmm. so, like... I struggled in a lot of classes throughout the last four years, but I, in terms of GPA and eligibility, I, I've never been worried. I've been, since my freshman year, I guess, well, because freshman year we did fall, winter, spring. Since spring term of my freshman year, I have actually been on the Dean's list every academic term. and so that's not even close to the minimum for a student-athlete, I believe, is a 2.0 GPA. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dean's List is a 3.6 or above. Wow. And so I haven't been near that yeah. that's line weird. ever. Yeah, that's but really I know impressive. students that are, and it is not easy. For students that do struggle, there's so many resources, and there's so much help that's given. And it just shows you kind of how passionate some students are, some student athletes are, um, that they're going to go to tutoring hours for 15 hours a week, and they're going to go and, and do all this, all this work to, to make sure that their DPA is high enough just to do their sport. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just about finding a balance, and it's not about forcing um, interest. You don't have to be interested in every class, or you don't have to be interested in and being even a student, academics in general you don't have to be interested in getting a degree some student athletes just go to college just to do their sport mm-hmm. but it's just about using your resources and using the opportunities that you're given just to make sure that you're, you're following the guidelines and, and getting where you need to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really impressive with the Dean's list able to, Thank you're you. able to do everything and, and you know, you still like, because I would think, you know, that phrase, like, you have to give and take, you know, it seems like that you just, you're given a lot of time, but you're, you're not giving any, like, uh, like any result, you know, you're, you're taking all the results that you could get, and it seems like hard to find a balance, you know, you, you keep e- e- emphasizing that, and it doesn't have to do with, like, with the magnitude of being a student athlete, but I always say you got to prioritize. But it seems like even within that, you could still find, you can. You, if you're confident in your ability, that you can still manage to do everything, even though one may be over the other. But just in talking about that, among other things, it, in giving this a- answer to this question, just think about, you know, just talk to us about your team, talk to us about your role, because it seems like you're definitely like almost like the captain, the leadership role. Like, what are the, and I know this sounds like an obvious question, but it, it's almost like I don't want people to take it for granted what it means to be on a team, but it's the benefits of being on a team worth more than not being on it and again like I said just talk about you know your team and your role and giving that answer
1: yeah so I am not a captain I might be this year who knows mm-hmm. but whether or not I'm a captain I have been a leader on the mm-hmm. team over the last four years being a coxswain you're automatically put in a leadership position yeah. and being the, the varsity eight coxswain which is the top boat for the last three years that put me in another leadership role. And, and so kind of while I'm not necessarily on paper the captain of the team or a captain of the team, I still hold a, a big leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't take that for granted. I appreciate that. And I take that position that I get put in and I work with it and I, I make it make the most out of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As for team atmosphere, my teammates are great. You know, y- it's kind of like a it's, – it's just like a balance like everything is – you don't have to be best friends with your teammates. Sure. You don't have to not talk to your teammate. You know, things like that. It's, it's just kind of a balance. And finding the, the people that you're close with, whether or not they're even on your team, that's something that's personal. Mm-hmm. But finding a family environment, finding a, a team bonding environment and, and a positive environment within a sports team is extremely pivotal for the success of your team physically.
0: Mm-hmm. I was if, waiting for you to say that word yeah. family. Yeah. It really is.
1: And I and I think it's big because not everyone has that experience. Yeah. Not every team has that feeling. But over the last year especially, our team has everybody goes through ups and downs, and our team has gone through ups and downs. But of over this year, we have specifically put every 40 people all 40 people, everybody has put their best foot forward on our women's team to create a family environment, to create an open environment, to create an inclusive environment, and so on. Mm -hmm. And I am so, so happy not just to be a part of it, but to be one of the leaders on that, in that, and, and I'm extremely grateful for all of my teammates. And without that environment... College would be a lot harder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Rowing would be a lot harder. And I, I saw this, somebody posted one day, they are cox in another program, and they said, friends make the boat go faster. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like, that that's how it goes um, for most sports. If you have a good relationship with your teammates, you'll be more successful in and out of the classroom. hmm
0: when it comes to matches in general, what was the most competitive match that you had during your tenure so far? And possibly this may be within the same match, but what was your best performance? So two separate questions there.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all pretty competitive. They're all extremely competitive. Uh, obviously, the conference championship is not necessarily like the, the biggest competition next to us, but it is the height of the season. It's the one that we're looking forward to win. It's, it's the most competitive in that. That's the NCAA qualifier, things like that. Mm-hmm. And... It's hard to kind of scale performance, like this is my best performance, etc. Mm-hmm. Because e- spring is, is different distance, different energy than fall is longer distance. Sure. Uh, boats aren't next, next to each other, and, and so there's some amazing fall races and fall performances, and there's some amazing spring races and spring performances. I would say one of my favorites. Yeah, that's fine. One of my favorites is the Head of the Charles Regatta, which is in Boston.
2: Okay.
1: It is the longest race of the fall. It is the biggest fall race in the world. Mm-hmm. People come from all over the world, not just the U.S., to race at Head of the Charles. And two years ago, I think, 20, well, two times ago, but COVID kind of canceled, I think, one or two of the years. Mm-hmm. But two Head of the Charles ago, I coxed our 8 to third place finish, mm-hmm. which For Head of the Charles, out of about 80 entries, 40 entries in some categories, that is extremely, extremely successful. And it's one of my favorite courses because it is a a long and curvy course, and um, to put it simply, and coxswains are big for that uh, Mm -hmm. because steering is involved. And how well you steer, shaves off seconds. How poorly you steer, adds seconds. And so that is one of my favorites because you learn the ins and outs. You learn what the best thing to do is. You learn what the best turn to make is. You learn strategy. When do you pass somebody? When do you wait? When do you take your own course and you you ride in the middle between a few boats and then make your opportunity to to go along and take the inside or the outside? And, And that's a fun race. I love it and so getting third place in that, which was the program's best finish, that was extremely rewarding and extremely exciting for me.
0: Mm-hmm. What is the main difference, and I know there always has to be between uh, different sports, but what is the main difference between high school rowing and college rowing, if any?
1: That's an interesting question because obviously I'm very close to my high school rowing and my college rowing. Mm-hmm. There's a very wide range of high school programs. There's a very wide range of of small and large and and competitive and non-competitive high school programs, Mm -hmm. and that goes for the same for college. But I would say the biggest difference is in high school, you get a lot of people that want to row because they want to do something for, to have a fun time.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's great. I love that. And in college, you progress towards that idea that people want to row to be good. Yeah. And then when you're good, that's fun.
0: Yeah. So just talk to us a little bit more about rowing, just in the sense that it never gets brought up, really, in the sports world. You don't really typically hear anything about it. I mean, you may see it on the Olympics once in a while, but just... Just talk to me about like why you think that is, and and you know, just give me like a little bit of a, of a taste, like as as to what we should know about rowing, and and just it's it's place in sports world, and why you think it should be higher, or it, maybe it, it just is as it is for a reason.
1: Yeah. So to kind of help wrap up today's podcast, I'll I'll definitely like to to talk about that and and about the. I guess, underrepresented community. And there's a lot of sports that are underrepresented. So, of course, I'm only talking about rowing. But rowing is getting bigger. Within, it's getting more broadcasted more recently. But really, the, the biggest time that it's broadcasts is, is the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the only time it's on television. There are live streams of almost every race, whether it's high school, collegiate, senior level. There's live streams everywhere. Yeah. But nobody outside the rowing community watches them.
2: Yeah.
1: And so it's kind of one of those sports where it has so many people involved. So many people do rowing, but so little people know about it. Yeah. And if you do know about it, that's amazing, great for you because it's it's such a cool sport. It's it's a hard sport, but it's such a cool sport to watch, to participate in. And so I guess just to for whoever's listening, I guess I just implore you to kind of go out of the box. You don't have to participate as an athlete in any of these sports. But to go out of your out of your shell and watch and look up and learn about some of these sports, like rowing. Um, my best friend plays squash. It's very yeah. underrepresented. It's very under-advertised. And so sports like those were two completely different sports of course um rowing squash but sports like that that whether they're in the olympics or not as well it, it it is just such a cool thing to know about communities outside of the ones you're involved in and so if you're passionate about the sporting community knowing about sports that aren't on tv all the time that's cool yeah
0: does it feel a little sad though like, you put in a lot of your effort, a lot of people do, and it's, like, underappreciated, you know, like, uh, like you do it for the people, but yet the people don't, like, reciprocate, you know, doesn't it, right?
1: Um, I don't think so, because... Okay. Everybody in the rowing community is really who you're doing it for.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm true. not doing anything for rowing for anybody who doesn't even know that it exists. Yeah. I'm doing the rowing for my – I'm doing the coxing for my rowers. I'm doing the coxing for my coaches. I'm doing the coxing for the people that are watching mm-hmm. the rowing. Um, and they appreciate it a lot. Everybody has an extreme, deep understanding of how hard the sport is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that rowing is actually one of the hardest sports physically because it does involve every muscle group. It does involve you putting yourself to the line physically, but also like in your lung capacity, things like that, mentally at times. So everybody in the community appreciates it, and everybody sees that. And, and that's why I am never sad about it. I'm always excited about it. I'm always happy about it.
0: The reason why I brought that up because you brought up earlier that you have a chance to be on the national team, which a lot of people then would watch and maybe they don't understand what exactly is going on or maybe appreciate that you might have won a medal or something, who, who knows. But just give, just give me a little bit of like what you think your chances are of making the national team and, and just the fact that you have the op- opportunity, how you think you got there.
1: Well, in, in terms of that goal for myself, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of uh, decisions I have to make, a lot of opportunities I have to look at and make for myself but I would just say in terms of making a national team for rowing and on any sport just getting better every day is the the bare minimum Mm -hmm. and so that's what I've been working on in the last few years that's what I've been working on with my coaches especially this past year is just doing things to get better every day and and hopefully one day over the next four to eight years that will get me to that goal to that dream and if it doesn't it doesn't Mm -hmm. um I guess I would say the end goal for me would be Olympics. For most sports, that's kind of the highest you can go. For, for a lot of sports that aren't televised, that's the highest you can go, the Olympics or the World Games.
0: And you think you have a shot, right? Like this is realistic.
1: I think that if I continue to get better, I have a shot.
0: Yeah, that's if awesome. If I give
1: up then I won't have a shot. If I slow down, if I stop looking to get better, I will not have a shot. But at this current moment of time, I have a lot of passion. I have a lot of interest in getting better. And I know I'm not done yet. So even if I graduate this year, I'm going to keep coxing. And and if I keep getting better every day over the next four years, which is a long time, I'll be putting myself in a better position than I am today.
0: Mm -hmm. I know you have a few more minutes. I know you have to go. Let me just try to give uh, three quick questions, because I know what it comes down to. I have a lot of questions here, and I had to discard some of them, but I know when it comes to these these three, that either it's a quick answer, or it's just fast for the audience to know. What do you think the perception is of, of like, people outside who are not college athletes? What do you think the, the perception of being a college athlete is, and do you think with this episode today that you kind of, like, cleared up a lot of stereotypes, confusion, or whatever it may have you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a general stereotype that athletes only really care about themselves, and that athletes think they're better than other people. Mm. I personally try to do everything I can to not be within that stereotype. Um, there obviously are people that only care about their sport and their teammates and think that they're better than non-athletes. Mm-hmm. I, especially at Drexel here, and, and and we can even talk again on a, in another episode about specific Things within communities to mm. to get rid of stereotypes like that. Yeah. But I personally have advocated for an interconnection in and between the student athlete body and the general student body here at Drexel. Yeah. I've actually done a lot with DEI, uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Mm. I've done a lot with the. Um, I've worked a lot. I I was the SAC president, so the Student Athlete Advisory Committee president this oh, wow. past year, and I worked a lot with the. BSAU. Mm-hmm. I worked a lot with the student government here at Drexel. And so in combination with a lot of different clubs and activities, I've been an advocate for inclusivity and then the combination of events between non-athletes and athletes in hopes that people just see that we are just people. Mm-hmm. We're all students. That's why student is first yeah. in the name student-athlete, because we all are Drexel students. We all are here to get an education just being an athlete is just another another aspect of ourselves that requires a little bit more energy Mm -hmm. now i also do i personally acknowledge that there are hundreds of athletes at drexel that are not student athletes okay i don't believe that just because you're not on a division one team or division two or three team that you're not an athlete like I said, I'm an athlete, but I don't even do the physical work at practice. Mm-hmm. And so I think being an athlete in general is just what you make of it. If you work if you work out and you work hard, if you play sport, even if it's club or intramural or if you just do it for fun as a hobby, you're an athlete. And so that's kind of what I advocate. And, and I think that if people continue to advocate that, then we'll be in a much better place. Everybody can be an athlete. Yeah.
2: No, whether,
1: you, whether you... Don't do whether you do it as a hobby or whether you do it professionally and you're in the NFL. Yeah. You know, there's there's a big range of, of athletes. And so here at Drexel in, in college athletics, I hope that people just see that. Yeah. That, that we're all the same. Um, we just live different lives, and we just have a little bit different requirements and a little bit different um, focuses.
0: Yeah, I've even said that on another episode. Like, I just wish when it comes to you know NFL players or professional athletes, actors, actresses, that they're not beyond us. You know, they are people too. They have their own personal lives. I totally agree. If you just just two more questions, and maybe they're the same answer. Who knows? Have you ever fallen off a canoe before? Like, have you ever gone wet and you know? Because like, I'm not sure because you're on the end. Right, you're near, you're closest to possibly falling. Like, and also just lastly, because I know you have to go, just share us like your favorite memory in which it could be on or off the playing field in which you guys do.
1: Yeah, um, so it's funny, the phrases that you use, it, it they're actually not necessarily ones we use in the rowing community. So playing field, we actually just say on the water.
0: On the water, okay.
1: And then we, they're not called canoes because that's just, canoeing is canoeing. Oh. Rowing, okay. um, we <sighs> actually use what's called a, a hull or a boat shell, it's just okay. a boat. yeah. I have fallen in the water. I have a boat. Uh, it's it's oh, no. not hard. It's not easy to do in a bigger boat, but mm. it's easy to do in a smaller boat. You just got to know how to get back in. It, it's fun sometimes. <laughs> it's refreshing sometimes. It, yeah. It's just a funny experience all, all around. You don't want to do it when the conditions are bad, obviously, because it, it is dangerous. But, but it is what it is, you know? If mm. you're doing a water sport, you can't be afraid to get wet sometimes. Yeah. And then...
0: Your favorite memory, just to wrap up the, the episode, just on a high note, you know, yeah. based on everything you said.
1: Yeah, you know what?
0: I know you still have the rest of your last year in which you could make more memories, and maybe it's a little bit more meaningful the fact that it's your last year, but by any chance do you have a favorite memory that still would stand out anyway? Um,
1: that's a really hard question because I really do try to make a lot of great memories mm-hmm. um, as an athlete and with my running team. That's such a hard question. Honestly, I think some of my best memories, because I try to make the most of every water practice and every race on the water, I think some of my best memories are when we're off the water and when we're just team bonding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because at the end of the day, that's what's, that's what's going to get you enforced on the water. That's what's going to get you get your bow ball and, and get your boat out in front at the end of the, the day is making, making really great memories with your team and bonding. And
0: Yeah, I was about um, to say that. Yeah. Yeah, that chemistry bonding yeah thank you so much Nan. I know uh, yeah you're very thank you busy. for having me yeah so if, and hopefully I, I could take you up on, on seeing you guys one, one day because like I said you know I'm always open to different topics and whatever have you and so that, the fact that I'm very into sports I want to see rowing you know like I, I think I remember in high school I wanted to see different sports like frisbee softball whatever and just the fact I feel like I'm lacking in that co- compartment and I don't even know where I would go on the school to, to see you guys and I know you go all over the place but again, I do really appreciate taking a little bit of time, just giving us a little, gave us a lot of information. And like I said, to guests, you know, hopefully you can elaborate and not like have me think about questions because I'm worried about the length of time. You, it, it Just so much information. And, and maybe just pouring it out, like almost a recap of the years in which you've been Drexel, and hopefully everything goes well with your fifth year when it comes to school, graduating, being an athlete. I wish you nothing but the best.
1: Thank you so, so much, and thank you for having me on High Voltage. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to be here and so thank you so
0: so much yeah no problem and it's of course our pleasure and like I said if you have any open topics we're definitely open Instagram Facebook so Twitter and also look out for uh, Natalie's organization that she does, that she does it's Excess. sharing XS, yes. Sharing Access. definitely we want to help out in, and in any then, yeah, and, look,
1: and follow Drexel Rowling this year
0: uh, yes if you, especially if you're a Drexel student but well, until then thank you so much for listening follow us on Instagram Facebook and Twitter at high voltage with double A.